Hey friends, Jason Miller here. You're listening to the South Bend City Church Podcast. If you'd like to watch this teaching, just look for South Bend City Church on YouTube or find our Instagram account at SB City Church. Whether you're local and tuning in this way because our gatherings are suspended because of COVID or you're a member of our long distance digital family, we love you and we hope you're well served by this teaching. If you'd like to financially support the work, please go to southbendcitychurch.com slash give. Hey, South Bend City Church. It is so good to be back here with you all again. I just told a friend recently, I feel like you all are kind of part of my satellite family. So thank you for welcoming me back. I'm really glad to be here. So recently, Jason reached out to me and told me a little bit about this series and invited me to be a part of it. And I was just instantly captured by this concept, this idea that we are not always heroes. I would say we are not often heroes. And this is a narrative that we just resist. We might be familiar with the stories throughout the Bible about somebody like Moses, who was the mouthpiece of God. He was called to lead God's chosen people, despite having some really real deficits around communication and speech. We hear these stories about God's kingdom being built and continuing to be built around ordinary people and their smallness and their limitations. And we know in our heads that that's how this works, but we would rather not be those people. We would rather have the shinier story. This series strikes right to the heart of who we are. We are regular people with real-world problems and personality flaws. We make a mess of things, yet we are still wholly loved by God. To be close to God is to exist near to the ground. A friend of mine once said, God's best gifts are usually found on the lowest shelf. And so today we are going to talk about Jonah. The story of Jonah is one that is really sort of embedded into my history as someone who was raised from the beginning in evangelical churches. A child will not quickly forget the tale of a man being swallowed by a big fish for disobeying God. It got my attention and it stuck. And that's the version I was given. That's really the only version I was given. That's what stuck for a long time for me. I was encouraged to imagine how scary it must have been there in the belly of that fish. How stinky, how disgusting, how humiliating. The takeaway was don't obey God. don't the takeaway was don't disobey God ever. And I'm not here to say that that's bad advice. I just think that to focus so much on the fish, so to speak, is to miss the larger point. It was always hard to imagine myself sitting in the rib cage of a whale, but it's not hard at all to imagine myself as someone who thinks I know better than God or who takes liberties at reinterpreting what God is asking me to do or who believes I can outsmart or outrun God. That's very familiar to me. 
To quickly recap the story, God tells Jonah to travel to a city called Nineveh and announce God's judgment upon it because of its relentless wickedness. Very dramatic story. Jonah decides he would just rather not. Instead, he runs in the opposite direction to a city called Tarshish. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord. Note that he just didn't refuse to go to Nineveh where God was calling him to go. He was so beleaguered by God's presence in his place that he picks up and travels elsewhere. He is literally running from God. En route to Tarshish, a massive storm erupts. Waves are crashing. People are fearing for their lives. Nobody understands what's going on or why. Eventually, Jonah's shipmates determine that he is the reason for the storm. He had admitted to them that he's trying to run away from God. And these aren't necessarily God-fearing people, but even they know this is a bad idea. This is not going to end well. Jonah tells them they're probably right. He says they should just throw him overboard. And so they do. He gets swallowed up by this great fish where he spends the next three days repenting. At the end of this protracted confession, he spit back up onto dry land. Jonah course corrects and obeys this time, traveling to Nineveh to proclaim God's judgment on its wicked citizens, tie the bow. That's the story I was given. The moral, as I was led to believe, was to just obey God the first time, lest we endure untold horrors. Skip Tarshish, go directly to Nineveh, do the hard thing, go to the hard place for the Lord. This age-old narrative paints Jonah as a winner. It was a story of repentance and renewal, this classic sort of Sunday school story arc. Ordinary person makes a mistake. Consequences are dramatic. Ordinary person begs for forgiveness and goes on to do the work of the Lord. But to survive the belly of a whale, even figuratively speaking, is to effectively have the ordinariness buffed off, rendering us the hero. The problem is that this version of the story is incomplete. It rushes the ending and oversimplifies what's really happening here. Eugene Peterson says the story of Jonah is a story of disobedience followed by obedience. But he notes that neither of these postures end well for Jonah. That's not a story we are familiar with. We don't hear stories often of these biblical heroes who, even in their obedience, mess things up and get it wrong. After the fish, Jonah regroups. He makes the journey asked of him. He announces the utter demise and destruction of the city. And this is a warning the Ninevites aggressively heed. They immediately set to work, lamenting and repenting. They set out to make things right. Chapter 4, verse 10 says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. The Ninevites are swallowed up by grace. 
This does not sit well with Jonah. He becomes angry at God's mercy. He throws it in God's face. I knew you would do this. This is why I went to Tarshish in the first place. You are too good. Your goodness made me look foolish. If I can't be right, he says, I would rather be dead. He stalks off to pout and God, in God's relentless to goodness, cares for Jonah by providing a plant to give him shade. Jonah appreciates this plant and this shade. So when God sends a worm to destroy the plant, Jonah is angry yet again. God basically says here, you care so much for a stupid plant? How much more do you think I care for the Ninevites? That's my paraphrase. I have spent the past few years intermittently locked into cycles of imagining myself a prophet, proclaiming the demise of particular people and certain ways of thinking. I'm struck by God's question to Jonah, which is asked twice in just a couple of verses. Is it right for you to be angry about this? I love this phrasing because it implies that sometimes it is right for us to be angry. But when I find myself angry with people just for disagreeing with me or just for seeing the world differently than I do, I can be quick to fly my Jonah flag. At my very worst, I, like Jonah, have wished the worst upon my enemies. I have valued my rightness over our shared humanity. I think Jonah is a cautionary tale of culture wars. The villain is not the big fish and the lesson is not some legalistic sense of obedience. The villain is me and my self-righteousness. The object lesson here is humility. We can be so quick to forget our own unfaithfulness, so eager to play God, deeming ourselves deserving of the mercy and shade of God, but not our enemies. Eugene Peterson wrote, I take it as a given that all of us would prefer to be our own gods than to worship God. Simply put, we forget our place within the kingdom Rather than spending our time trying to walk in the way of Jesus, in compassion, low to the ground, humble, we end up spending our time trying to climb to a higher shelf. Caught in the crossfire of these competing allegiances and values and all of our big opinions, our relationships fracture. We want to be right more than we want to be whole. I recently had a difficult conversation with a group of people who are regular parts of my ordinary daily life. It was a topic that has come to be polarizing and maybe even controversial, and I was the one who had raised this concern. So while I didn't expect this discussion to be breezy, I was completely unprepared for the amount of pushback I would get I was unprepared for how alone I was going to feel. 
Seeing that this wasn't going to move at all in the direction I had hoped, I thanked the others for their willingness to hash it out, and I dropped it. But as the day wore on, it just didn't feel like it had even been worth it to bring it up. And as time passed, this anger bloomed inside of me. I could only imagine that they felt the same way about me. We had revealed ourselves to be in deep, fundamental disagreement about something that is important to all of us, but in really different ways. Maybe we had even revealed ourselves to be enemies. So now what? I groused about it to my husband and to God. I even sulked for a while like Jonah. When it was time to face my newly identified enemies again, I dreaded it. I wanted to run to Tarshish. Instead, I obeyed in that grudging, legalistic way, planning to just lay low and ride out the storm. Here's what happened instead. I snuck in a few minutes late and found my seat in the back of the room, planning my early escape, doing what God wanted, but only in the most technical sense. A few minutes later, the person I felt most distraught over came up beside me and gave me one of those COVID-friendly, vigorous arm pats. He said, it's good to see you, Shannon. He was the plant offering me shade. He was the hero. He was the thing I was not ready to be and the thing I hope I'm quicker to be next time because there will be a next time. This friend still cares for me. He still wishes the best for me. He didn't default to the lowest possible opinion of me simply because we disagreed. He reminded me that in the community of God, we are all neighbors all deeply loved by God, all deserving of mercy. We don't have to be so, a quick, so quick to assign ourselves to different camps or different categories that we elevate our sense of power or righteousness over the presence and providence of God. This runs in stark opposition to our culture, which profits off of keeping us polarized and sacrificing our connections. It will require intention to resist these knee-jerk reactions. Society keeps pointing us to Tarshish, to the people who remind us of ourselves, where it feels easier. God calls us to places where agreement was never the goal, but where mercy abounds. We can continue to speak truth, and we should, but we don't have to prioritize our rightness over our wholeness. We don't have to surrender to our shadow Jonah side, angry that God continues to love and root for our perceived enemies. Donna Barber writes in Bread for the Resistance, as challenging as it may be to come to terms with our own conversion, it is sometimes even harder to believe in the power of God to transform another especially an enemy. This is faith. This is surrender. This is what it means to be villains after God's own heart. And so today, may we go where we are sent. 
May we discern what is deserving of our anger and wield it with the compassion of Jesus. May we recognize one another as anti-heroes on a shared journey toward wholeness. And may God's mercy shade us all. Grace and peace to you.